All right, well, welcome to the Jason Modar Show, the podcast bringing you a Christian perspective on things happening in contemporary culture and evangelical Christianity. Let's get started. So I was born to parents who wanted me. They wanted to have a child. They were eagerly and actively seeking to get pregnant and add to the size of our family. I wasn't a mistake. I wasn't an unwanted pregnancy. I wasn't even a happy accident. I was a planned pregnancy. My parents wanted to have a child, and by the grace of God, on March 3rd, 1984, they got me. God in his providence gave them me, and I am very grateful to God in his providence for allowing me to have life and for giving me to my parents. Now, other children in the year 1984 were not as fortunate as I was. Roughly 1.5 million children, to be more precise, were so unwanted by their mothers and or their fathers that their parents sent them to baby murder doctors to have them murdered. Uh, Between 1973 and my birthday, 1973 being the year that Roe v. Wade was enacted, well over 10 million unborn children were sacrificed on the altar of expediency, were sacrificed to Moloch by their very own parents and baby murder doctors who were more than willing to do the dirty deed. Now, 38 years later, the body count of murdered unborn babies is up to 63 million. However, as all of you, I'm sure, already know, the baby butchering industry just took a massive hit with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, the righteous and just overturning of the wicked and horrible Supreme Court decision that is, that was, Roe versus Wade. Now, this, of course, doesn't do away with abortion completely, and we'll dive into more of that momentarily, but it is certain that this decision will save the lives of countless children who otherwise would have been murdered. So briefly, let's talk about the Dobbs decision. So the Dobbs decision marks the righting of a wrong and the overturning of an unconstitutional and an immoral ruling made by a court with a slew of unvirtuous judges. Well, whichever judges, justices, in the 1973 Roe v. Wade case voted in the affirmative to make baby murder a constitutional right, they were the ones lacking virtue and brought about this unconstitutional and immoral ruling. So the Constitution of the United States of America never, ever gave women the right women and their baby murder doctors the right to murder unborn children. And thanks to the Dobbs decision and the court, where three of the Supreme Court justices were appointed by none other than former President Donald J. Trump, that fact is, praise God, recognized once again. So what this does is this returns the legality of abortion to the state's and to their elected representatives. So it's now in the hands of the states. And already we have seen a number of states completely outlaw abortion with the usual blue state suspects, California, New York, 
basically all of New England, quickly moving to codify baby murder into law and to protect baby murder as vicious and godless as that is. So President Biden and fellow Molech worshipers like Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and AOC and others are hell-bent, and I use the word hell there appropriately and fittingly, they are hell-bent on codifying the artist formerly known as Roe versus Wade into law. So the cult of baby murder is not going to stop. This isn't going to slow them down. If anything, it's going to ramp up their efforts. They're not going to stop until the religious practice of Molech worship is codified into the law of the land. And in many ways, the ending of Roe is the beginning of the fight or the beginning of a new, perhaps even greater fight to protect the unborn. Uh, more on that later, though, because the very first thing we need to do is celebrate. That is right, we need to celebrate contra to what you're hearing out there from people that we shouldn't be celebrating, that we should be tempering our celebrations, that we should be weeping with those who weep and mourning with those who mourn. No, there's no room for that. Praise be to God. When I got the news, I was at the ACCS conference, and there were about 1,300 of us in the audience when the Roe v. Wade news dropped. And all of us, uh, led by Dr. George Grant, a prolific author, historian, and Presbyterian minister, he led us in a spontaneous singing of the first verse of How Great Thou Art. So when it was announced that Roe v. Wade was overturned, we stood and gave a standing ovation and applauded and screamed and hooted and hollered and celebrated. And then we sang in a thunderous adoration of our God, who, through the tireless efforts of untold thousands and thousands of people, executed justice in our land. And some of the pushback is even coming from those who are allegedly part of Christianity, saying that we need to temper our celebrations and we need to think about other things. No, we're going to appeal to that momentarily or talk about that momentarily, this think about other things. No, we need to celebrate. So in Proverbs 21, 15, the scriptures say that when justice is done, it's a joy to the righteous, but is terror to evildoers. So justice, godly justice, like the overturning of Roe v. Wade, is a joy to the righteous. So if you find joy in the overturning of Roe v. Wade and you are rightfully celebrating, even celebrating by being loud and proud about it on social media and things like that, you are demonstrating your righteous reaction, your righteousness regarding, at the very least, Roe v. Wade, your celebration, your finding of joy when God's justice is being done in as it is in this situation. If not, if you are not somebody, if you are finding terror, if you are lamenting, if you are worried about what's going to happen to all of these mothers, which by the way is nothing's going to happen to them other than they can't murder their babies anymore, but they're not in any sort of medical worry. They're not in sort of any sort of medical danger contrary to the words of people like twice failed presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. So if you are worried about Roe v. Wade being overturned in terms of people having access to abortions or moms having access to health care, you may just be an evildoer. And that's not me talking. I'm just delivering the mail. These are the scriptures speaking because God's justice being done, if it's a terror to you, then you are on the side and the thoughts and the affections of the evildoers. This is absolutely a time to celebrate Hands down, no doubt about it, end of discussion, 
we celebrate this awful, awful ruling being overturned by the righteous ruling in the Dobbs decision. Another thing that we ought to remember to celebrate is children. More children are going to be born because of this, and this is a good thing. It is a biblical thing. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. So even if a woman is faced with an unplanned pregnancy and she is sure to be a single mom, the dad has abandoned the situation, the scriptures still declare that that fruitful womb that is bearing a child that is going to eventually give birth to a human being that has already conceived a human being is a blessing. In spite of the hardships and the difficulties that that woman may face, children are a blessing. Every single child is a blessing. They are a gift from the Lord. And let's not lose sight of that either, that more blessings, more gifts of the Lord are going to be given to women with fruitful wombs. And women who have fruitful wombs ought to celebrate as the righteous women of old celebrated when they had a fruitful womb and they were able to bear children for their husbands and for their households. I mentioned this earlier, but former President Donald J. Trump put three Supreme Court justices on the bench, all three of whom voted in favor of the Dobbs decision overturning Roe v. Wade. We need to thank Donald Trump. If it is a struggle for you to thank Donald Trump, if it's hard for you to thank Donald Trump, that's on you. That's a you problem. Whether you like him or whether you hate him, he is owed thanks. God used him. God in his sovereignty, God in his providence, used a very, very flawed human being, Donald J. Trump, to follow through and fulfill on a campaign promise that he made at least once that I know of in a debate with Hillary Clinton where he was asked by the moderator what he would do about overturning Roe v. Wade, and Trump said that he believed we were just a few justices away from having enough justices on the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. He was given the opportunity to put three justices on the court in his four-year tenure as president of the United States, and he put three justices on who did indeed vote to overturn Roe v. Wade. So love the guy or hate the guy, Ultimately, all glory goes to God. Glory doesn't go to Trump, but we ought to thank Donald Trump and we owe him a debt of gratitude for all of the failings of his character and for how badly he failed regarding COVID. He did not fail when it came to Supreme Court justices and our country and unborn babies are better off for it. So there's a lot of things that are next regarding Woe v. Wade. Did I just say Woe v. Wade? Let me try that again. There are a lot of things that are next concerning Roe v. Wade, and I'll just touch upon a few. Um, not a particular expert on this area, but there are at least a couple of things that ought to be on everybody's radar. Number one, the criminalization of baby murder, the criminalization of abortion. It's not enough to simply outlaw abortion, but then you don't criminalize not only the baby murder doctors who perform the abortions, but also the mothers who go out and have the abortions performed, who do murder for hire. These women are, now not all sins are crimes, 
All crimes are sins, but not all sins are crimes, biblically speaking. But this is a situation definitely where the sin of murder is also a crime. And there are a lot of Christians, including Brent Leatherwood, the head of the ERLC, and others. He's not just him. There's many, many others in evangelical Christianity who believe that women should not be criminalized for murdering their babies. That's, of course, ludicrous and flies in the face of the scripture, the law of God, and common sense. If you actually believe that the abortion that abortion is murder, then you should be criminalizing those who contribute to that murder. Not only the baby murder doctors, but also the mothers who have their babies murdered because that's what's happening. So I would say that if you have the opportunity to support and vote for representatives or pass legislation that actually makes this a crime, then do so. I know I will. I'll be keeping an eye out for that locally, doing what I can to vote for that and push that kind of legislation forward. And also another thing that's next is what I'm going to call Roe v. Wade style fights in blue states, in blue baby murdering states. So there are many blue states that are still going to have, they're going to codify into law if they haven't already, the legality of baby murder. And there's going to be people on the ground there, pro-life organizations and individuals who are going to fight Roe v. Wade-style fights against these states where this is still legal. So pray for them. So pray that criminalization actually happens because the law is a teacher and the law is also there. The punishing of criminals is there to deter future crimes. And that does work and that does happen. And we do have that taught in the scriptures. So we need to be following ultimately what the scriptures say. That's one of the things that the law is there for. And we also see in Romans 13 that when you have a civil government that executes that kind of justice that actually punishes evildoers, and Romans 13 tells us that that's a terror to people who would do evil, who would do evil. So pray for that and also pray for people in these blue states who are going to be fighting these Roe v. Wade style fights to continue the push to make sure that unborn human beings are recognized as human beings and that the right to kill them is not a right that's recognized by any legislature or by any state. Uh, lastly, uh, that I what I want to talk about is, and I alluded to this earlier, don't fall prey to the argument that the church must step up to help women with unwanted pregnancies. That's the thing that you hear. The soft, squishy evangelicals are saying, okay, okay, cool, that's great. Some some are even saying, okay, cool, that's great that Roe v. Wade is being overturned, but now the church must help, must step up. We must step up in the foster system. We must step up to adopt. We must step up to help these women. And even if they're not calling for socialist solutions to these issues, which would be covetousness and theft, they're still saying that. Now, the reason why I say don't fall to pray to that argument is because not because Christians shouldn't step up, we should, but Christians already have been. There are pro-life organizations, pro-life Christians, pro-life individuals across this country. I don't think I've ever been part of a church that didn't have people actively involved in helping women who have unwanted pregnancies, getting them formula, diapers, clothes, whatever else they need, whatever other help they need, these types of organizations already exist. Churches are already doing this. I've got people at my church who have <clears throat> fostered and adopted and are 
at the head of pro-life organizations and crisis pregnancy centers and that have actually boots on the ground helped women in these situations. Again, I don't think I've been a part of a church in my life that hasn't somehow been involved in this. So the reason why you don't want to fall prey to the argument isn't because these women don't matter. It's because the church is already doing this. And then lastly, regarding this whole idea of not falling prey to this argument. So the primary people responsible for children in order are one, their parents, two, extended family, three, the church. In that order. Number one, it's not on the church to take care of these pregnant women's children. It's on the women and it's also on the men. So the men that are running away from their responsibilities, that are getting these women pregnant, that are encouraging them to have abortions or just leaving them in a lurch once they're pregnant, that's scummy. That's not masculine. That's not manly. That's cuck behavior. And that needs to be admonished and exhorted from our pulpits. And men need to be encouraged to be dads, to step up to the plate when they get a woman pregnant. We need to encourage people to get married. And there's a whole lot of ways, a whole lot of rabbit trails you could go down about sexual morality and things like that. But when it comes to the care of the child, it's on the mom and the dad. That's number one. The number one person responsible for taking care of all of these babies that are going to be born now are their parents. Number two is extended family. So we see in a place like, for instance, in 1 Timothy 5, chapter 8, I believe, is that if anybody doesn't take care of their family, they have denied the faith and they are worse than an unbeliever. And this is couched within the context of taking care of widows. So Paul is saying, look, if there's a widow who's truly by herself, then yeah, the church takes care of her. But if this widow has family members around, then the family needs to step up and take care of this widow. And the principle applies across the board. If you are in need and you don't have, or rather, if you are in need and you don't have like a spouse around or something like that, your extended family or or your immediate family, your mom, your dad, etc., they should be the ones who step up and help you and help you take care of the baby. That's who should be the ones taking care of the baby. So number one is the parents. Number two, we see from scriptures, it's the extended family. And Paul is saying in that first Timothy passage, the pagans don't even do this. You're worse than a pagan if you don't even take care of your family. And then after that, if some, if a woman, if a single mom truly is single and all alone, then yes, the church ought to step in, do the godly and righteous thing and help out the least of these, help out a woman who is functionally, truly a widow and is unable to get help. Um, She's a young widow, like Paul also says, we should be encouraging her to find a good, godly Christian man and to get married. All right, I think that's all that I have for today. Hope you found this episode uh, helpful. I've been thinking about responding to Roe v. Wade, and quite frankly, it probably took me longer than I should have to get around to it. I've been playing with different ideas, and then I just decided I'm going to write some stuff down, put together an outline, and record a video and press record. So, again, hope it was beneficial. Hope you found it edifying. We'll catch you next time. God bless.